Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk about cation exchange capacity, what that is, why it's important for you to know it on your farm, and how that knowledge can make you some money. We would be more than happy to take your phone calls as well. If you want to give us a call here at the Morton studio, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag later in the show. Uh, or you can find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. So, Darren, I was going to tell you, just a few minutes before the show, I got a text from a, a really good grain marketer, a uh, national grain marketer here in the United States, and he just said, uh, let's see, I got to look at what his comment was. I thought it was funny. The grain markets are getting religion or something like that. Yeah, grain's finally getting religion. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I, I just know this. On our farm, our crops stink. Um, now, granted, I mean, they're okay relatively but for what we're going for and big time yield and all the fertility things we do and drainage and i mean we're trying to ultra manage a lot of things it's just not there this year it's going to be our worst beans in years and years um probably our worst corn in four or five years just from the way it looks to me as we get started so we got a long ways to go yet we're only probably 10 percent done with harvest on our farm but all I can say is the first stuff I've seen, awful. I've been saying for months now, I really firmly believe we're going to have $5 cash corn here and $10 cash soybeans here. Now, every area of the country, or if you're listening in Canada, I mean, it's going to vary depending on where you're at. But I'm talking about for right here. I think that's what we're going to have. And today we're at about $4 corn and about eight fifty soybeans. And as I see the yields, number one, as I see... All around the country, all the unplanted acres, and I just think the government's missed it. Uh, between those two things, Darren, I'm still 100% convinced we're going to have at some point over the course of the next year, $5 cash corn, $10 cash beans. Well, that'd be wonderful. In the meantime, I'm going to work on what we can control and try and do the best job we can. We're out looking at harvest here and watching harvest loss. This is one of those things uh, that when when you get to different seasons during out during the growing season or different parts of the growing season is probably a better way to say that. When you get to different parts of the growing season, you have to be ready with what you need for tools. And I'm, I'm heading out to the field to do some harvest loss calculations. And one of the handiest tools that, that we've had has been a one foot square, basically just four 12 inch pieces of PVC tubing and four PVC elbows glued together. So we can just throw it down on the ground. It's weatherproof and we can look and see how many kernels of whatever we're harvesting lay in that one foot square. Then the other part of that tool is the Ag PhD Harvest Loss app. It's a free download. And I uh, just pulled it up on my phone and looked at a number of different crops on there. I was looking at soybeans today, but there's also corn and wheat and sorghum and barley and oats. And just pick whichever one, type in what your market price is and how many seeds you're finding on the ground per square foot. And it'll tell you how many dollars you're losing, how many bushels you're losing, and it, it will really change things on your farm. For example, a few years back, we had some soybeans that were leaning, not tipped over, but just leaning because we'd had some heavy winds leading up to harvest. And combining them one way was a seven bushel difference. So I don't want to combine one way, but when it's a seven bushel difference, 
That's a big one. And it's pretty hard to explain that to people when you're just looking at, ah, there's a few beans on the ground, no big deal. When you start actually running the calculator on it, it's it's really pretty, um, it's a game changer. There's no doubt about that. All right. So our topic is cation exchange capacity. Here's what that is and why it's so important for you. It tells you the holding capacity of your soil. Now, there are going to be some people that will tell you, oh, that's not an, an important number to know. Well, that's ridiculous because I'll just give you an example. So I, I've, I've mentioned this a few times since it happened, but last fall is about this time of the year. I was up in Canada, up, let's see, west of Winnipeg a little ways, talking to some farmers about drainage and tiling and soil tests. And anyway, I had a farmer come up and he brought me a soil test and he goes, yeah, I want you to look at my light ground, my, my light sandy ground. And I look at it and it's a 33 cation exchange capacity. Well, to him, that was light ground because his heavy ground was in the 40s. But when I go to, let's say, Alabama or Georgia or Virginia, and I run into farmers who say, well, take a look at my my heavy ground here, and it's a 7 CEC. Well, to them, 7 is heavy. To me, 7 is ridiculously light. But for them, when they've got the range of 1 to 7 for cation exchange capacity, 7 is their heaviest ground. So the whole point is simply this. Rather than me trying to describe to you what's heavy ground, what's sandy ground, what's medium textured soil, all that kind of thing, we have a number. So we're all on the same page. So we're all talking apples to apples. Then we can make much better recommendations on things. Part of that goes with nitrogen. What we often say for nitrogen holding capacity, and this is just a rough figure, this isn't going to be exact, but it's going to at least get you in the ballpark. Just take 10 times your uh, your cation exchange capacity number, and that's going to tell you roughly how much nitrogen your soil can hold at any one time. So that guy up in Canada, 33 times 10, that's 330 pounds. Well, that's pretty much going to cover him, right, for the whole season. You go to somebody down south in the southern United States where they got real sand and they got a 5 CEC, well, that's 50 pounds of nitrogen. Now, can you push it a little bit? Maybe. If you use a nitrogen stabilizer, could that help a little bit? But the whole point is you got to understand, boy, if I've got that number that's down in the single digits, I'm going to have to use multiple applications of nitrogen for any crop that needs lots of nitrogen. Otherwise, I am very, very much at risk of losing that nitrogen. And the whole thing is when we talk about overall fertility recommendations, the number one thing that we want you to do is do what makes sense economically. And it doesn't make a lot of sense economically to throw a whole bunch of nitrogen out that you could potentially lose in the next few weeks. So cation exchange capacity is really important. It's a measurement basically of the type of clay, the amount of clay, and the amount of organic matter that you have in your soil. So we're going to talk more about that throughout the show and also the things you can do to influence cation exchange capacity. Well, we're going to talk uh, more about that and other agronomic topics coming up. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We plant corn in Iowa, spray soybeans in Illinois. We pull calves in Kansas, farrow hogs in Minnesota. We raise rice in Arkansas, rye in Canada, and wheat everywhere in between. We farm millions of acres across North America and build every piece of Case IH equipment. Built by farmers, for farmers. Case IH, rethink productivity. 
If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Graze on Next herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Graze on Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstars.com to learn more about Graze on Next. Always read and follow label directions. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at mortonbuildings.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren live in the Morton studio. Today our topic is cation exchange capacity. If you'd like to call in and talk about that or anything going on in your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. All right, so about once a week or so, we talk grain markets for just a few minutes. And today on the show, again, we've got our good friend Scott Harms. He is with Archer Financial Services and Grain PhD. Scott, how are you doing today? Very good, Brian. Good afternoon. All right, so during our first segment of the show, Scott, I don't know if you heard that, but I was just saying uh, our yields are terrible. And I still firmly believe we're going to have much higher commodity prices than what we have today. Now, that part of that may just be that I'm an optimistic farmer. I don't know. But there has been a lot going on in the grain markets here just lately, especially just in the last day or two. Can you give us kind of a rundown of what's going on? Yeah, there's there's a lot going on this week. Um, you know, we've got some on the trade front. We've got Chinese talks going on. There's low-level talks and they're going on in Washington uh, right now, by the end of the week, uh, the high-level uh, uh, talks are supposed to take place. And uh, it's being reported that the Chinese delegation that's in Washington this week is the largest that they've ever sent over. So I don't know if that means there's more seriousness to it or not, but that's something we're, we're going to be watching. on the. But that's probably on the back burner um, relative to the USDA report is going to be available on Thursday. They'll be updating those production numbers and then plugging them into their balance sheet. They'll also include any demand, uh, supply and demand adjustments or demand adjustments. Um, and then uh, as we get to later in the week, we're going to get some of the coldest air we've had this season. And, and as you guys are well aware uh, of what's coming uh, up in the upper Midwest, we're going to have cold temperatures reach by the end of the weekend as far south as the Texas Panhandle. Uh, most of it's going to stay west, but it's something that's going to be watched very closely as to how far east it goes and how many acres are going to be affected and what the snow amounts are and that kind of thing. And then uh, we're also watching weather in South America. South America is awfully dry. Uh, we have, 
It's not a concern as of yet. Their planning window is just getting started, but they are delaying their planning because of the dryness. They don't want to plant in the soils that they have right now. So they're going to wait, and what it does is it, it delays the availability of South American supplies if it continues much longer. And that actually may have an effect on Chinese negotiations because China is counting on those South American supplies to get them through the winter. Okay, so yeah, that, that that really is a lot going on. Let I let's come back to that weather thing for just a minute. I was talking to an agronomist today in South Dakota who said he believed that thirty percent of the corn acres of his guys were not ready for this frost this weekend. Now I have to believe they're close, but nevertheless, I was kind of surprised at that big a number for now. It would be an average frost date for us. So. Are there any estimates out there in terms of if we do get this hard frost they're talking about this weekend, how much of that crop is actually going to be damaged or lost? Yeah, we're in a market environment right now where the market is, at least over the last several months or last couple months, has been a wait and see kind of attitude. Yeah. And uh, we know that, you know, what weather is forecasted and uh, it, it, you know, it it varies. So I think the market is going to wait and see what actually occurs. Uh, In my opinion, you know, we're talking about 18 million acres of corn and 14 million acres of beans in the Dakotas and Nebraska that are potentially um, going to be affected. I mean, because the cold area, it covers up the entire, those, those three states. It's going to creep into western uh, Minnesota and northwest uh, Iowa. But those three states are mainly going to be affected. But um, so it's going to be a wait and see as to what the impact is going to be. I don't think we began tra- we've even begun trading the potential loss yield loss of, of this cold snap. Now we were up today, but uh, to me it was all about fund short covering. We have the funds are still short 120,000 contracts going into today in corn, and if you look at it. We had this cold weather forecast late last week. We had the forecast uh, confirmed on Monday morning when we returned. We saw how many acres could be affected yesterday when we saw that the maturity dates um, of in in those in those areas, I think 74% of the uh, corn crop in Nebraska is immature, and South Dakota 30%, North Dakota 22%. That was put in front of the market last night. Yet the market didn't trade higher last night. Didn't trade much higher yesterday. Today at 8:30 on the reopening, again at 9:30. That's when the buying kicked in. We ended up closing eight to ten high or something like that, because the the funds tend to buy in the traditional day session. A lot of them still these funds do buy on the traditional old reopen at nine thirty. So you saw the buying happen at eight thirty. You saw the buying happen at nine thirty Central Time. So to me today was really all about fund short term. We haven't begun to factor in or to start to trade uh, the potential yield loss. And I think the market is going to take a wait and see approach by this weekend could be a different story. Even what we have seen mature so far and dry down into the, let's call it low 20% moisture range for corn in the upper Midwest, we've seen low test weights. And I think that's one of the things that nobody has really factored in a whole lot. We had an an abnormally difficult growing season if we have lower test weights you know you think about it instead of 56 pound corn all of a sudden if it's a lot of 53 pound stuff might not seem like much but you add that up over lots and lots and lots of acres and all of a sudden there's a little bit less yield too so i mean there are a lot of factors that are going to affect these all these production figures any guesses or any uh expectation you have in terms of what that usda report's going to come with this thursday yeah, that's the difficult thing. I mean, in my, I believe there's going to be fireworks. I'm, I'm with you. I'm in, the, in your camp. You know, I think there's going to be fireworks. I don't know whether it's going to be this Thursday or whether it's going to be next month. 
it could be as late as January, but I think mostly next month should capture a lot of what you're talking about. Uh, we I think it was in 2010 we had poor test weights as well, and it was later in the year. We have to wait get the combines rolling to figure that out. Well, we only have you know a small percentage of the crop harvested at this point. So we may not have that information available tomorrow for the market to trade. They may they could punt um, tomorrow and keep yield largely unchanged or make a small decrease. We're not expecting much of a decrease. This is I'm sorry, I say tomorrow. I meant Thursday. Um, but I think the yield adjustment could be small. But I still go back to the fact that the August production report, when they increased yield, was based on lack of inf- they did not have information. I think believe that that yield adjustment higher was incorrect. And so I think there could be an error adjustment or you know, a, perhaps a larger adjustment. That would be the surprise on Thursday. Most in the trade are expecting a small adjustment on Thursday and waiting for real data, more hard data, com, you know, harvest data available that's going to be in November. But the surprise on Thursday, combined with all these other things that are going on, um, it wouldn't take much, especially if you factor in the stocks number that we got last Monday, we all of a sudden have a balance sheet that uh, could excite the trade. And if the funds are already getting out, you know, the, the real question will be, are they going to be willing to build a long position? So I'm, ex- I mean, I'm like you. I'm excited for the potential upside here. That the right things have to happen. Uh, we have to have the USDA believe what we believe. Uh, that may not happen Thursday. It may happen in November or at the latest January. All right, so what advice do you have a farmer right now that's looking for more information, more education, uh, just an idea on what he or she should do in terms of grain marketing as we move forward, not just with this crop, but future crops? Yeah, for for this year, I mean, if you did, did some pricing, options are still relatively cheap, and you can get options that cover, that give you re-ownership strategy, through the next two reports, so corn December options or January options for beans get you through, and they're not really that expensive yet. Um, Longer term, I think it's important to understand what next year will bring, and some of the best pricing opportunities for next year's crop, at least in the next um, eight months, may occur in the next two or three months, you know, based off of this, as we figure in, factor in this year's crop. So I think really it's to be prepared for next year because if we do have higher prices, we know we're going to plant a lot of acres next year, and we know that uh, the weather is probably not going to be as bad as it was this year, at least we hope not. So we need (laughs) to be prepared and take advantage of whatever price move we get this fall uh, to do a little pricing of new crop. We focused in on 415 and 420 basis D's 20 corn and 975 and 985 to do some pricing in beans. So we all talk about, you know, a pilot program, a conservative program, take 80% of your normal yield and plug that into a program and and start pricing a little bit. If you really want to be conservative, then do 50%. But sales that you make early, this is the, you know, probably the takeaway, the sales that you make early can take a lot of emotion and pressure off of you. Uh, if the market starts off lower next year. So make some sales, you know, take advantage of whatever we get here in the next uh, couple months. All right, again, we've been talking to Scott Harms with Archer Financial Services and Grain PhD. Just go to grainphd.com to get all their great educational information. Scott, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus, LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. 
Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. If your fertilizers aren't formulated to maximize your efficiency, if you can't mix all the PK and micros your crop needs into one prescription application, if you have to add products to improve and invigorate your soil biology, then you need to expect more from your fertilizer. With AgroLiquid's advanced technology, you can expect more, a lot more. Make the most of your crop nutrition. With AgroLiquid, to find a crop nutrition expert near you, visit agroliquid.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side. So it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. We didn't get to the moon by accepting that man can't fly. And we sure didn't get the car by settling for the horse. Progress isn't driven by accepting things as they are. It's driven by asking questions. At Indigo, we're working with farmers to question the entire agriculture system to reimagine everything from soil to sale. Yeah, we like the big projects. Go to indigoag.com slash questions to find out more. Indigo, from questions we grow. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 Ag PhD. You can also find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Let's head up to Michigan right now. Got John Leaf with us. He's a field agronomy manager for AgriLiquid. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. You know, we're talking about differences in soils that, that growers need to be aware of as we start looking at fertility and setting up plans for 2020 or even fall fertility programs here for the fall of 2019. And when we look at cation exchange capacity, Brian and I always like that. Just It gives us some kind of frame of reference to do some comparisons. Uh, what do you notice when you see cation exchange capacity? What What do some of those differences trigger for you? All right. Well, I like to look at soil uh, cation exchange capacity as one of the first things on a soil test. 
And what that tells me is, you know, what do I have to work with? Um, is it a heavier soil? Is it a lighter soil? Is it going to have more clay or, or more sand? And from there, then I can figure out if I, uh, or what I need to do to make adjustments in my, uh, uh, my soil chemistry, such as the base saturations, and then uh, love potassium and calcium primarily. And then also uh, what I need to do from a, an in-season crop nutrition standpoint. Uh, can I put more nitrogen up front or do I have to meter it out um, more deliberately over the season? Well, since you work for AgriLiquid, I got to ask this question, John. So your company's known for having really safe, low salt, in furrow alternatives. How does that change when you get to CECs well below 10? Well, we, uh, for a lot of our products, it really doesn't change all that much. Our Pro Germinator, for example, or our Sure K. Uh, our uh, our use rates are are pretty uh, pretty stable across those uh, uh, sandier soils as well as the uh, uh, as the heavier soils. Um, I do tend to uh, to be a little more cautious uh, with things like boron um, in those sandier soils. I, I want to kind of limit that to more of a pint rate than a uh, than a quart rate, like uh, some of our our folks can use in the, in the heavier soils across. The, you know Iowa and Illinois, um, but uh, so you can't. So yeah, that's that's pretty much where we're at. Um, we've got a lot of flexibility with our our uh, fertilizer products across a wide range of uh, of soil cation exchange capacity. Now, as you get into some of the heavier soils, John, you kind of made a comment earlier about getting things to change on those heavy soils. It, it's tougher. I, I know we've got some heavy soil on our farm, and it just seems to take a little bit more time to turn that big ship around. What advice would you have for growers with the heavy, high CEC ground? Well, it is going to take a while. So um, you're going to have uh, to take a multi-year plan with it. Um, so, for example, if you're needing to increase your potassium base saturation, um, you might need to take, you know, two or three years to do it. You're not going to probably want to put 500 pounds of, uh, of dry potash out at one time. You might want to do it uh, like 150 pounds per acre, you know, over three to, to four years in order to get that done. I know that's, uh, um, that's a frustration for folks that, that really want to, uh, to get things rolling. But uh, like you said, that's a pretty big shift to turn around. And you need to do it a little bits at a time. You know, on the lighter soil, too, one of the things that we hear a lot of high-yield growers talk about is split applying their, their nutrients, putting them out several different times throughout the season. What's your research shown on that? Has that been a really good way to go? Yes, our research has uh, shown, especially with nitrogen and sulfur, that uh, you know, put a portion of it uh, up front at planting and corn specifically. Uh, we can uh, then... Um, come in, you know, one to two times uh, in mid-season, say like V5 and, and V10 or, or near tassel if needed. And we can uh, continue to add uh, nitrogen and sulfur or potassium and other micronutrients as needed uh, in season to make sure that uh, that, that nitrogen is, is there. It's not going to get uh, uh, moved out of the, out of the soil from, from leaching and the such. And uh, the crop is going to have more... Uh, uh, use for that. And we've seen some, some very nice yield advantages to doing it that way. 
Yeah, this year I think was a really good example of that. We saw a lot of guys that had put out a bunch of stuff early, kind of paid the price for it later with leaching and, and other issues on a, on a year like 2019 where many areas get so much rain. Been talking with John Leaf with AgriLiquid. John, thank you so much. Really appreciate talking to you today. Good luck here the rest of harvest season. No, I thank you. Let's head down to uh, Minnesota, get Jim Fashing with us with Midwest Labs. Jim, uh, we're talking about cation exchange capacity. What goes into making that calculation? We had a, a grower from uh, up in, I'm trying to think if it was Alberta last week, that had some differences from a couple different labs on cation exchange capacity, and he was kind of frustrated by that. He said, do they do it different? Isn't that kind of a standard test? No, a cation exchange capacity, the way we do it is... Um, <clears throat> Depends on what we measure with our ammonium acetate extraction on the uh, calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium. Uh, other extraction methods might yield a higher number, so we're making a calculation off of those cations as we measure them, and that contributes to the uh, calculated CEC that shows up on the report. But again, if it's a if it's a different extraction, it may pull out a higher uh, cation number on some of those, especially. If you get into a highly calcareous soil, you may see uh, calcium numbers jump up with some of the other extractions that, that are being utilized. And it's all based on what we extract and the calculation that we use to uh, come up with our CEC on the calcium, magnesium, and potassium primarily. You know, it's it's certainly been interesting as we've gotten soils from all over, and Brandon made a comment earlier that uh, we had a grower who had a CEC over 30, and he was talking about his light, sandy ground, and we were kind of wondering where the sand was because that sounds like pretty heavy ground to us. It's all relative. What do you see as you, as you look at tests that come in really from all over through the lab? Well, we see uh, just a wide variety. You know, you mentioned uh, lighter soils earlier. Um, we see CECs as low as um, four, and we've seen some CECs that are bumping up in that 40 range uh, as you get into some of those heavier soils. Um, had a high organic matter, um, I guess it was a uh, topsoil uh, report that we did for a client down in Florida, and the CEC there was 20, but the... Uh, Organic matter was way over 10, and that was contributing a lot more to that CEC than uh, clay content in the soil because they, they basically had very little clay in that topsoil mix that they were making up. And they were, uh, you know, they were looking at trying to change that uh, pH. It was very high with uh, some, the addition of some sulfur materials. And it just gets to be really difficult to uh, <clears throat> hope that that's going to work in a highly organic soil versus a native um, agricultural soil where we have the bacteria and everything already present in that soil that could help that sulfur maybe bring some bring down that pH uh, by leaching maybe some of the magnesium and calcium out as it converts. Yeah, it's interesting so, as you yeah, as you talk about dealing with the soil like that and then you've got, you know, some of these real heavy clays that uh, are, are a real challenge to, to work with, too. Uh, how I guess, what are you using the CEC calculation for? Is it mainly just to compare soils, or is there something else that goes into the recommendation? Well, it goes into the recommendation in that we're looking at the ability of that particular soil on the CEC calculation as to, as to its ability to hold on to the cations that we apply. So where those cations are going to be held on the edges of those clay exchange sites, 
uh, and you mentioned the higher, heavier soils with higher clay contents, have more exchange sites for those cations to adsorb too, but it takes a lot more of those materials to, uh, especially in the category of a potassium fertilization, to be able to meet the growing crop's needs because those clays can adsorb so tightly that sometimes we aren't getting the release of that potassium in particular uh, material back into soil solution for the root system to take up. Yeah, it could be a real so challenge. We're looking at, uh, yeah, we're looking at the CEC's effect on, on the recommendation as far as what's going to change, and it does change as the CECs go up. You know, it's interesting, too, as we get into some of the dry areas, we see a lot of, of high CEC ground trying to hold on to water and hold on to nutrients as well. Uh, we'll talk more about that after this break. Jim, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining a missed forecast to a weatherman. Now, Mother Nature stresses soybeans the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Preaxor fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your beans can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Preaxor fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from FarmShop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit FarmShopMFG.com. We started utilizing the dual react system this year. You can adjust your speed and it automatically adjusts your sprayer tips. So you can slow down and you aren't building up huge droplets or you can speed up and you're not throwing a mist that's drifting. Hypro, helping you spray better. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup ready-to-extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. 
Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. Our phone lines are open if you have an agronomy or an agronomic question, 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. I know we're going to talk about CEC a little more when we get into some of the soil tests that came in today, so let's head to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, let's start off with the soil test here. Uh, I got a big one for you. I'm going to hand you a large packet of information here too. A lot of times there's some pictures in some of these as well and and, uh, maps for individual nutrients. The summary sheet is usually the best thing for us because we can look at a bunch of different samples at the same time and see some trends. But Okay, here we go. Uh, This is an out-of-date soil test back to 2014. But hopefully you can get the idea of roughly what we're dealing with in our ground if we've been just applying crop removal rates. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't show the copper and the boron. We started to add those into our testing uh, later down the road. Uh, I also attached a yield map showing how the farm produces corn and soybeans, pretty much mirror images, best yielding spots in the same areas. Winter wheat uh, doesn't really show much there. What we're looking at is the northern part. Uh, It pretty much shadows the cation exchange where the optimum yield levels are. Want to get your thoughts, what you think might be happening. Uh, Okay, so first of all, let's just talk about this as a general statement. If we're talking 2014 information, there have been five crops raised on here. And just from the way it looks to me, I don't know where these people are from, but it looks like some years might be double crop even. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in five-year-old soil test data, first of all. All right. I think you, I think so, you did get an updated map in there as well. Is there an updated one also? Well, I've, you, you handed me 25 yep. pages. So <laughs> I you said they did resample it last fall. I think they may have sent that update as well. Oh, okay. Okay. So all I heard was the uh, 2014, 2014 stuff. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So so what'd you say the north half and what were they cation well, exchange capacity? Very high in magnesium and the pH needs to be addressed. Just yep. wondering if you feel those are the things at the top or if it's a difference in cation exchange capacity that's making that northern part not produce as much. Okay. Well, I'm trying to flip through all these pages here and and so Oh, now I got it. Okay, so the cation exchange so capacity basically the, the, on the, the north heavier, end is heavy. heavier dirt is a little wetter, typically yielding around 100 bushel. The thinner upland ground may run 140 where? to 170. So where are they from? Uh, I'm guessing you might see a clue of that up on the top, but I don't know. Okay, well, anyway, that would, be, the email. that would be helpful. Oh, I'm sorry, so. Southeast Kansas. Oh, okay. Okay, there, there were two emails, so I was kind of shuffling through. Got it. Okay, so anyway... Can I assume there's no drain tile in the north side or in any of this? That'd be my assumption as well. Okay. So that's the first thing that I'd be doing is I would take a look at, well, I I mean, just think about logically. If it's heavy ground, you know it's going to hold more moisture. And if you're telling me it's a wetter area of the field, well, what does that mean? If, If we're getting a lot lower yield there, theoretically, we should be getting higher yield there, right? Because... 
Kansas is not exactly known for being, uh, how can I say, having an overabundance of rain every single year. I realize we may have had some wet years here, but typically that is not the case. So heavier ground usually should yield more. So I'm going to assume that we're dealing with some, uh, just some poor drainage issues. Beyond that, yeah, I mean, it's the same stuff we talk about all the time. We really got to work on base saturation K. I mean, it's down at 2% and less in some areas. Uh, phosphorus isn't terrible. We got a lot of 30, 40 parts per million. So for those kind of yields, that's fine. But look at the organic matter levels. Organic matter is pretty low, and that that is one of the components when we talk about cation exchange capacity. So you're dealing with 1.5% to 2.5% organic matter. So if it's me, I'm going to try to reduce my tillage, try to plant crops with more roots. Maybe somehow, if I could possibly, get some manure or compost in, into this. Uh, as well. And if there's ever a time where, let's say, you harvest early and you got two, three months before freeze up left, I would consider putting a cover crop in. So over time, if I could build that organic matter, great. Now, when they mentioned cation, or mentioned pH, sorry, yes, there's some correction that needs to happen, and that absolutely can help. But make sure you only do that correction where you actually need it. What I'm where I'm going with this is there are some pHs of 6.4, 6.8. Those are fine, and we absolutely don't want more lime there. Even the five sevens, it's relatively light soil, not super heavy soil. I mean, it, anyway, the point is you don't want to overdo it and give that lime plenty of time to react. I'm talking years to react. So we just want to make sure you don't get that pH above where you want it to be. And the low end of the good is probably, I'm I'm pretty good with in even in the six to six and a half range, you're probably going to be okay. So anyway, those are just my comments on the uh, many pages that we got here. But I, I, I do really encourage everybody, test soil on a, on a fairly regular basis. So you at least have you know, some, some pretty up-to-date information, and then we can make better recommendations for you. All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Uh, I had a question uh, regarding Randy Dowdy and his world record soybean yield of 190 bushels. Uh, Dale asks, I'm wondering if Randy will take soil tests in different areas of the field, like in a high-yield area and a low-yield area, and I was wondering if you knew what the yield range was across that field, how high it got and how low it was in the poor areas. Hey, Dale, thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that. Will Randy take soil tests? Absolutely. Randy's going to do a lot of testing. In fact, uh, Randy often does some testing throughout the growing season as well, just to see if some of the changes that he's making are taking hold. When you think about a complete soil test, if you can do it for 30 bucks, you can go out, pull it yourself. Uh, I think he's got a soils lab that's relatively close to where he's at. So I think he actually just delivers them to the lab rather than even mailing the samples. It's a pretty minimal cost to, to get a lot of good data. So Absolutely. He's pulling different tests out there in different parts of the field. I think uh, his question is he wanted to know what's the range and what are the tests like. And as you can imagine, with a lot of these high, really, really high yield guys, they'll share some information with us, but we don't get access to all their information. Just like I rarely get access to everybody's total information on their farm. But anyway, yeah, there, there's certainly a range. And this is one of the things that even Randy talks about, like especially when you go to corn. He'll plant three different varieties, three different populations even, 
in almost every field that he's got. There's going to be range. We know there's going to be range. It's just trying to manage through it because we don't know, quite frankly, how hot it's going to be, how wet it's going to be, how long the growing season's going to be, how much sunlight there's going to be. So that's why different varieties are going to respond, different populations, different planting dates. So it's it's really hard, um, you know, being a farmer, obviously. But he's just trying to spread the risk out so he doesn't have all his eggs in one basket. And we do the same thing on our farm. So I was just sending, I just sent something out to a whole bunch of agronomists I do training with uh, in the last few days saying, you know, on our farm, we farm about 2,000 acres of corn. I want to plant about 10 varieties, maybe even more. And I, we spread the maturity risk by about 15 days normally. 10 to 15 days yeah, pretty easily. So we already have the plan to, hey, we're going to earlier varieties as we continue to progress with our planting. And we're going to change our populations also along the way. So every variety is going to be planted at probably three different populations, maybe more. So it's it's about, you know, a lot of farming is just about managing the risk and spreading the risk as best you can. All right. I had a question from Ryan. He said, have you ever done any studies with twin row corn? Yeah, we sure have. Sometimes it's great. Other times you get nothing. So it just depends on what a person wants to go with. You're going to have increased cost in that planter, and that's one of the big things. And then it's just going to be a little bit more hassle when you're trying to harvest that twin row stuff. So, yeah, there have been a lot of people that have tried it. You know, adoption across the world is still extremely low because the results have been uh, pretty hit and miss. Yeah, I think row spacing is one of the most common questions that we get in terms of, well, should I be 20-inch rows? Should I be 30-inch rows, twin rows, whatnot? But there's a lot of yield out there that's still left on the table regardless of row spacing. When you see uh, world records being set in 30-inch rows, uh, you say, wow, I can, I can get a lot farther before the row spacing thing is going to be the biggest deal on my farm. All right, stay tuned. We'll get back to more of your questions right after this. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG soil fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the STEPS GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need STEPS GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. 
That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. In order to be the best farmer you can be, you've got to have a grain marketing plan. But what do you do when you're too busy out in the fields trying to maximize yield? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are always busy learning more about how to make our farm more successful. That's why we use Grain PhD to learn more about grain marketing and to work with our Grain PhD risk expert to create a complete grain marketing strategy. Visit grainphd.com to learn more about a free consultation for your operation. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. If you have an agronomic question, we'd love to help. Our phone lines are open at 844 44 Ag PhD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Got a question from Chad. He said, I wanted to get more information on the upcoming Neil Kinsey seminar you're doing in early 2020. Specifically, what level of agronomy should you have for the workshop to be beneficial? I would say any level of agronomy, and you're going to get something out of it. Also, with Neil, he tells a lot of stories and and tries to make things very relatable, very understandable. So yeah, you certainly don't have to be an expert. Now, don't get me wrong. If you are an expert, you're still going to pick up uh, quite a few things with this. And one of the nice things when we do in-person training, when Neil does in-person training, you get the opportunity to ask questions, whether it's during the event, during the breaks, in the evenings, we're going to have, let's see, I think, Darren, we're going to have two suppers with this too. So we're going to have groups, people kind of uh, sitting at tables in groups based on their agronomic questions or agronomic situations. So maybe they can talk to some other people who are dealing with similar things to them. So Darren and I are going to be involved with this. It's going to be pretty interactive and it's going to be long. I mean, it's a three-day thing, but it should be really awesome regardless of whether you are a beginner or you are a very advanced farmer or agronomist out there. All right. Thanks for the question, Chad. Yeah, we hope to see you there. It'll be it'll be an excellent day. I know Brandon and I really look forward to that. There's a lot to learn, and Neil's certainly got a wealth of knowledge to share as well. Uh, Brandon had a couple of questions uh, uh, about Randy Dowdy's world record 190 bushel soybeans. Chris says, what good does it do to push more production when prices are depressed because of overproduction already? Okay. And stop. Leslie yep. Wait, says, stop. was stop. it profitable to raise the 190 bushel crop? Okay. They're, they're two completely separate and different questions. So go back to the first one, read it, say it one more time. 
And and just for our listeners, just listen to this question. All right. how it's Chris worth. says, what good does it do to push more production when prices are depressed because of overproduction? Okay, well, I just want you to think about this logically. On your farm, you can either have, let's just say, for example, 80 bushel soybeans or 50 bushel soybeans. Which would you like? Okay, so there are a lot of people that throw out that, that type of question and why, why are we even discussing that? If you're a farmer, we're talking about your farm individually. We're not talking about every farmer in the world is now all of a sudden going to raise 190 bushel beans. Most people, even if Randy will go, literally he's got these farmers that he consults with, probably, I don't know, 300 around the country. He'll literally tell them, do this, 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 and you will get much higher yield. And he finds that those guys will follow like one out of 10 things, maybe three out of 10 things. <laughs> so those are the guys that are literally paying him money to tell him what to, to tell them what to do because they're like, well, if Randy can do it, then, you know, I should be able to get higher yields too. And they still won't listen to him. So the point is this, the agronomic information is out there. A lot of it's really simple stuff that Randy is doing. He's just really paying attention to the details every last little detail on stuff and 99% of people just are unwilling to do that. So the production's not going to get that high, but the point is I couldn't care less. I don't care what anybody else's production is. I just care if I'm a farmer about my farm and trying to produce more bushels so I make more money. That's all it is. What was the other one? Leslie said, is it profitable or was Randy profitable raising the 190 bushel soybeans? I want you to think about 190 bushel soybeans, even if let's let's say it's, well, right now the market's $8.50. Okay, so 190 times 850, that's $1,600. Uh, pretty sure he made money on that. So I believe that was on ground that he owns, number one. And did he put more than $1,600 in inputs into it? Absolutely he did not. So yes, he made money on it. Yeah, I, I remember a few years back when Randy hit a pretty high level yield on corn. I don't think it was quite 500 at that point, but he also won the contest in the state of Georgia for the lowest cost per bushel to produce. So that's the cool thing when you do get those crazy high yields, you get a lot of bushels to divide those production costs uh, by. So that, that really helps. And also keep in mind for almost all these high yield guys, they farm quite a few acres. And what they're trying to do with anything that they'll call contest acres or high yield acres, they're trying to learn from that. So they, they try a whole bunch of different things, just like we do on our farm. We try a bunch of crazy stuff and there are a lot of things that don't pan out, but I don't care. I mean, that's just the way it goes. You got to, you got to experiment a little bit. And yeah, I probably do eight, ten, eight dumb things out of 10, <laughs> but if I can find one or two things that actually work, I go, Ooh, I'm going to try that on my 2,000 acres of corn as opposed to my little 20 acres of a whole bunch of test plots. All right, now let's get to the next question here. This one comes from Jody, and uh, Jody's from Indiana. Just want to thank you for making heart screenings available at your field day this summer. My husband took advantage of the opportunity. The scan showed an abnormality, 
and he was advised to see a cardiologist, which I set an appointment up for immediately from from your event. Uh, after a series of tests, we were thankful to learn that it could be treated with medication and an annual visit. Thanks. Really appreciate uh, what you do and uh, really enjoyed your field day. It was our third. We're big fans of your show. Hey, thanks, Jody. Really appreciate that. We do uh, we do offer very inexpensive health screenings. Well, at, we don't offer well, them, but we have somebody come in who does these heart screenings we just think it's incredibly important. Make sure you're getting yourself checked out. There are a lot of things, a lot of health issues that happen in the United States and in Canada that absolutely could be prevented if people just get checked out on a regular basis. So we really encourage you to do that. I'm doing mine next month, Darren. Great. Uh, okay. Michael sent in a question. Michael's from Iowa and he said, my farm's CEC range is from 13.2 up to 25. I've got a question for you on phosphorus. I'm deficient in pea. I've been working to build that both with chicken litter and MAP fertilizer. I have not yet, not yet used a phosphorus enhancer or protector of any sort on my farm. I'm curious what you think about these phosphorus enhancers such as Avail. I'm assuming you've done some research. Would applying Avail with my fall map also help make existing pea in the soil more available or just mainly help with the map? Okay, well, from what we understand with Avail, it's got a very high uh, CEC, and it, it's there to basically prevent a lot of the cations in the soil from binding with your phosphorus. I don't believe it's going to help or help much with phosphorus that's already in the soil. It's designed to help that phosphorus that's applied. Now, I'm a skeptic of almost everything that's new, but we did try this. Um, actually, we ran quite a few tests with this, and we did see results. So I, I would tell you that Avail does seem to work, but you're going to have more result with any of those types of products when your soil conditions aren't great. So what I'm saying here is if let's say you had a 6-3 cation exchange, or sorry, 6-3 pH, you had high levels of phosphorus, but you had balanced levels together with that with zinc and potassium and copper and manganese and boron and everything else. And you had your soil nice and balanced, good levels of organic matter, perfectly drained, your avail is not going to pay nearly as well as if you've got lots of issues out there, like your pH is high, for example, and your nutrients are out of balance. So really look at everything. And I know, you know, you probably have, hopefully, but I'm just saying, make sure you look at the big picture. Yeah, if it's me and I'm skeptical about something, anything, I'm just going to try it on part of my acres. I'm going to do some tests and see. So that's what I would encourage you to do with avail. But yeah, in our testing, it actually has worked. All right, thanks for that question. Uh, got a got a corn premature sprouting question from North Dakota. This is from Ryan. He said, "Just oh curious. yeah, we talked about that last week, Darren." Okay. Um, yep, because when he yeah, when he sent it in right away, uh, then I then I addressed that. But yeah, with sprouting on on corn ears, not really a big problem typically. Where we have a lot of issue is where it just keeps raining and raining and raining and raining, and you can't get out there to harvest. If the ear has tipped downward, then we're usually in pretty good shape. Things drain away. If that ear stays kind of upright and the moisture builds up in there, that's usually where we see the sprouting. If you just simply dry that corn down, generally speaking, uh, the issue goes away. You can certainly screen out some of the contaminants, but usually not a real big issue. 
All right, harvest season is underway in many parts of the country. We encourage you, stay safe this harvest. Watch out for tractors and combines and big equipment as you head down the highway. And remember, those slow-moving vehicle signs on the back of equipment mean if you want to pass them, you're supposed to slow down to the same speed that that tractor or truck is running and then go around safely and easily so we can all get through harvest. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.